Welcome to P.I.'s Declassified, an inside look at the world of private investigators. Your host is Francie Kaler, a noted private investigator. Francie and her guests take you behind the scenes and into the genuine, sometimes gritty business of investigation. You'll hear stories from the trenches with plenty of surprises. Here's your host, Francie Kaler. Good morning. It's a bright Thursday morning. We are uh, recovering from the assault on the Capitol today, but uh, it is a bright Sunday, uh, Thursday morning, and we have many hopes for a bright future. So with that said, I'd like to introduce you to my guest this morning. His name is Craig Smith, and he's from uh, my home state, Colorado, and uh, in the area between Colorado Springs and Denver. It's just a pleasure to have you on the show today, Craig. Hey, thanks, Francie. Thanks for having me. You know, I was looking at your background, Craig. Uh, what an interesting background. So uh, I, I noticed that you went to Mercyhurst University. Where is that? Mercyhurst University is a small liberal arts college uh, in Erie, Pennsylvania, kind of tucked away. Yeah. And your major, what does intelligence studies involve? That's fascinating. Yeah, so intelligence studies, yeah, intelligence studies is basically the study of intelligence, the intelligence process, the cycle, um, how intelligence is disseminated to uh, decision makers uh, within the intelligence community. Very interesting. So, which ties directly into your paper that, uh, that I read regarding cognitive dissonance. Yeah, that's right. Uh, many of the things I learned at Mercyhurst about um, intelligence analysis and uh, the intelligence cycle had a lot to do with cognitive dissonance, and, and yeah, that, that kind of bled over into, uh, into my paper, my white paper for my CLI. Which is fascinating and, and so unique, I have to say. Um, so it's, it's exciting for me to... Uh, to really talk to you about this because this is an area that I'm very interested in. So, um, but how did you decide to uh, study Arabic language? Is that because well, you were in Iraq? I, I, yeah, that's right. After I, I did um, a tour in Iraq, I was there from um, right around the invasion phase um, in March 2003, actually April, the beginning of April 2003, we left in December, um, and so uh, learned street Arabic while I was there, uh, and then I decided in college to study it, and I thought it was uh, a natural uh, thing for me to study, seeing as how I just got done speaking it, and it was also a very important um, skill to have if you were going to be in the intelligence community. Mm. Interesting, very interesting, and fascinating as well. So, um, and then, how did you become a private investigator? How did that happen? Right, yeah, so, well, after uh, doing some various things uh, in the intelligence community, I, uh, there's some things I, I can't necessarily, don't necessarily want to talk about. Uh, sure. With, yeah, but... Uh, I, I became uh, a private investigator uh, after, after uh, working at, at one job in the intelligence community. Then I worked at another job for a private company. And then I worked as a cyber intelligence analyst. And I said, after this, I said, that's it. I'm just going to cross over and become a, a private investigator. And when I crossed over, uh, you know, it, it was just extremely natural for me. <laughs> that's an interesting term I like that crossover I haven't heard anybody use it like that before that's great <laughs> right so but it wasn't to the dark side though right <laughs> no that was kind of a homecoming really yeah that's that's fabulous so how long have you been a PI going on seven years it'll be seven years in June uh, of okay. this year alright and what do you specialize in Craig you know, it's, it's kind of hard to say. Uh, I, I do a lot of different things, but a couple of things that I do specialize in is surveillance, criminal uh, defense investigations, civil investigations, 
um, background investigations. Um, there's a whole host of other things as well. Witness interviews for sure. Um, and uh, just skip tracing and basically just digging into whatever uh, needs to get dug into. Yeah, sure. For sure. Okay. That's, that's great. Um, so I'm, I'm very familiar with the, uh, the Colorado As- Association of Private uh, private investigators. Are you involved in that as well? Yeah, I was a board member for uh, TPIAC um, for for two years. I'm still a member. I'm a member of NALI as well. Uh-huh. Um, so, you know, tr- I try to stay active in those uh, groups as, as much as I can. Okay, so PPIAC is the, let's see, that's the Professional um, Private uh, I mean, Investigator Association of Colorado. Right. Okay, great. And then you mentioned NALI. NALI is the National Association of Legal Investigators. And to back up what you, uh, to what you said earlier, uh, the white paper you wrote was for your certified legal investigator for the NALI Association. And it's a designation that uh, takes a lot of work to get. And there's only a few of us across the I guess across the world that have this designation because it it is a lot of work. Uh, how much did you put into it before you actually sat for the exam? You know, it, I was a little slow on the uptake. Um, I, I knew that the day was the day was approaching, and then I was like, "Well, I mean, I really need to start writing this white paper." And then I kind of just got into this groove where I wrote my white paper, and then I studied and studied and studied for <laughs> well over a month, month and a half. And uh, it, was, it was an absolutely surreal and, I mean, almost terrifying experience. It was, it was, uh, <laughs> it was a ride. It, it definitely was that. And, of course, uh, and, if, and if you didn't make it, everybody would know. <laughs> everybody would know. Yeah. So, uh, what conference did you take the exam at? Uh, the one in uh, at the beginning of 2020. Um, so, I think that's what do they call that? The spring is it the spring conference? Spring conference. Okay. Okay. Good. Well, yeah. congratulations and welcome to CLI CLI Group. It's just fabulous. There should be um, more people that really take the time to become. Um, not that you're not a professional investigator without it, but it certainly adds a level of expertise you don't have otherwise, just because of what you have to go through. Exactly. Yeah, I, I, yeah, I, I, I would say that uh, doing the CLI, um, taking the test, being reviewed by your peers and the board, it, uh, it definitely changed who I am as a criminal defense investigator, civil and, and overall, for, I mean, it changed me forever. Yeah. But, oh, so. that's great. Oh, for the better. Changed you for the better, right? Yeah. Yes. Yes. <laughs> okay. Just checking. <laughs> All right. So right? let's talk. <laughs> let's talk about the subject of your paper because it's just uh, so interesting to me. You entitled it "Cognitive Dissidence and the Legal Investigator." So, what is that? Describe that for us. You know, cognitive dissonance is, is uh, just a, a way of thought or a, a way of thinking that can occur when someone gets, I like to call it getting stuck. Um, or when, when uh, I also have group think in the title as well, um, when a group of people can, can think of a, a certain way and they just get they just get stuck in a mode of thought and no matter what anyone says or whatever type of information can come at them, they're not changing. The, the thought's not changing. What, what causes that in your opinion, Craig? Uh, I, I mean, that, that's a pretty deep question. Uh, I, I think there, I mean, everything I'm going to say from this point forward is unscientific, but I mean, they're, I think at the root, uh, you know, human beings uh, are often part of groups and groups have a way of thought. We all want, and if we're not part of a group, we want to join a group. 
And when we get into a group, we're happy to be in a group and we don't want to leave that group. And, uh, we don't want any, anything that happens to that group to affect the group. And so we create these, uh, barriers uh, of thought and reality, uh, to protect ourselves and our identity within the group. As well as being drawn to people that think like we do. Of course. Of course. Yeah. Okay. So you mentioned um, in, your, in your paper that it's often overlooked. Tell me what you mean by that. Yeah. Uh, you know, I, I, I think that we don't even know that it's happening when it's happening. Mm-hmm. Uh, we, uh, I think that we can oftentimes see it in other people when it's happening to them, you know, like how they, you know, they just don't get it. Can't, can't they see that, you know, uh, this piece of evidence proves our client's innocence, you know, and, and we see, uh, you know, maybe if we're working on a case, you know, maybe the district attorney or the police doubling down, it's like, you know, can't they see what we found is, you know, proves, but can we see it with ourselves when we're doubling down? And, and I think it's at those moments that it's often overlooked, the, the, the bias in us. Well, I, I, see, I see what you're talking about. Because when, uh, when I work on criminal defense cases, for example, and you've probably experienced this as well, that the police investigators often work their theory. They decide on a theory up front of whatever happened. And then sometimes, regardless of what's obvious, it's not it's not followed through on. Is that is that been your experience as well? It, it's it's been my experience uh, in, in some instances with that. Um, th- thankfully, I have a, you know attorneys that that have to to deal with that. You know, um, but uh, yeah, sometimes it feels like. Uh, no matter how much evidence we get, you know, nobody's going to be swayed. Um, the decision's been made and that there's, there's just no going back. We're going to trial. We don't care. Um, you know, and I, I that's been my experience. And I, I guess when I wrote this paper, it's kind of like, well, can we see that in ourselves as well? Mm-hmm. Can, we, can we shine that light that we shine on the others? Can we shine that on ourselves? Uh, yeah, I would say that probably uh, e- even criminal defense investigators do the same thing. <laughs> of course we do. Of course yeah. we do. Yeah, of course. So, and you talk about cognitive bias. To, to, you know, talk about that a little bit, would you? Yeah, I mean, you know, cognitive bias and cognitive distance, uh, you know, they they, they, they kind of go hand in hand. Uh it's uh, it is this this overwhelming bias that that one has in their mind uh, that that literally re- rejects, ignores, uh, diminishes any information that would come to it uh, that would um, attack or contradict one's opinion or uh, personal belief. So, as an investigator, how do you address that? Are there skills so or tools I, I know, that you can use? Yeah. Yeah, so I, I, I know myself, uh, you know, I, I think sometimes you have to, to step back and be like, well, you know, we get to a point in an investigation where, where we go, you know, something's not right here. And I don't know if it's me. I don't know if it's my witnesses. I don't know if it's the evidence. I don't know if it's everything. And it's at that moment that you've got a chance to, you've got a chance to double down and say, nope, we're just, I'm rolling with this. I know I'm right. We're right. The client's right. The attorney's right. We're all right. Or you got a chance at that moment to go back to the attorney and even to the client and say, look, something's not right. Or to the client, I, like, I'm finding contradictory evidence. Contradictory evidence. I, I need you to be straight with me here, because uh-huh. you know, because what I do next is going to affect you know your life forever. So we, you know, we need to get this right. Um, 
And you hope in those situations that, you know, your attorneys, you know, maybe step back with you and go, okay, you know, or your client goes, you know, I, maybe this was different or maybe that was different. So, uh, I think, I think it's those moments where you get that check in your, in your stomach that, that you need to like, you need to step back and, and really reevaluate your case. Uh, yeah, you know, I've, there's so many things going through my mind right now of like that because uh, you you do see that. I mean, you know, I, I hate to bring this particular time in in into this conversation, but it, it does seem like that area of being um, my way is the right way and my uh, opinions are the right opinions. There seems to be a lot of that going on, so. Is that the kind of thing you're talking about? That that is part of it. That is absolutely part of it. the ego. Absolutely p- plays a, a tremendous role in this. Um, I, uh, you know, later in the paper, I talked about something called uh, uh, the, the background of uh, sorry, the backfire effect, um, which was uh, coined by Nyhan and Reifler um, in the journal Political Behavior. And um, what they posited is that um, people who receive like uh, unwelcome information or contradictory information, they may not, not only may they resist that challenge, um, they may also double down on their uh, original viewpoint even more strongly. So it's almost like if someone challenges you, instead of, you know, saying, well, let's talk about it, they sit down on the ground and they say, no, I am right. Nothing's mm-hmm. going to change my mind. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's, 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 it's been a fascinating year um, and kind of illustrates exactly what you're talking about, actually. Um, <laughs> and unfortunately, because it's too bad that, uh, it's really too bad that people can't sit down and discuss their views without... Um, planting their feet in the ground and being an immovable object. But that's another subject. Yeah, I mean, it, <laughs> that, that, is, yeah, that is another subject. And, and unfortunately, you know, I think that that happens sometimes in the, the legal investigative and the, um, generally the investigative world as a whole. So as an investigator, Craig, what do you do with that? If you, if you run into that either... With, I mean, it happens with our attorneys that we work for. It happens with witnesses that we interview. It happens with our interactions with law enforcement. What? How do you handle that? I mean, I think that that's all situational. I mean, if it happens with an attorney, you just make sure you document everything in writing, right? Uh, and you know, but if it's happening with with you know law enforcement and you know, or you know, the information you're presenting, maybe you're presenting evidence, you're finding new evidence, and you know, I guess, I guess, uh, my opinion on that would be just investigate. Well, you know, just, you just gotta, you just gotta put a case together, put it out there, put your best product out there. And, you know, if it goes to trial, the jury's going to see, I I've sat in courtrooms and I've, I have seen extremely intelligent jurors, random people. And they just, they see it, they go, yep. And they, they walk people out the door or they, or they convict. Um, Mm -hmm. And so I think I think at that point as a legal investigator, you just get to say, well, you know, nobody sees it, you know, but but me potentially. Uh, I feel that you know what I see is the truth, so I'm going to put out a good product and get it out to the jury. Right. You know, I'm I think of a a perfect example of what you're talking about. Uh, I had a conversation with a, a homicide detective one time, and. We talked about whatever it was, the subject of the conversation, and then, you know, we just started small talk, and he said, how do, how do you do this, this criminal defense work? And I went, well, you know, I don't deal with the, you know, hordes of people that you do every day. I deal with one person at a time, and, and actually some people are, are innocent. And he looked at me in this astonishment and said, not murderers. <laughs> okay. Well, there you go. That's right. cognitive dissonance. <laughs> that's that's right. That's right. Yeah, and just to go back with what you said before, I I just remember this too is uh you know, if 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 nobody's listening, talk to the jury. 
talk to the jury with your with your interviews, talk to the jury with your with your affidavits, talk to the jury with your with your reports. And so if nobody hears you, you know, make sure the jury hears you. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's true. And, you know, and whether we like it or not, juries often come in with a bias. Uh, no matter what they do to try to wadir them and ferret out the people that have a bias, they still come in with a bias. It's hard not to. We do it. I, I do sure. it. You know, when I hear sure. when I hear yeah. something on the news and it sounds damning, and they oh, he's guilty, you know? Without right. without having any facts. So we all do it to an extent. And it's Yeah, yeah. I, and I mean I guess that, that was part of my paper was uh, you know, it's there. Like, okay, it's there. I mean, what what are we gonna do? Like cease to exist? No. Uh, it's working through it that is uh, the important thing. Going, oh, you know, I'm, maybe I'm getting a little blind on this case. Let me mm. go talk to my, you know, friend. Or let mm. me go talk to one of my investigator friends. You know, let me, let me go talk to my, my attorney, you know, after hours. Have a, have a heart-to-heart. You know, maybe we're not looking at this right. And uh, I've, seen, I've seen cases just change on, just change on a dime. Just change on a dime. Mm-hmm. And, it, and it's, it's just, it's, it's a little bit of reflection. You know, it's that gut check. Because I think that many times we might have a feeling in the pit of our stomach that something's not going right. And you can either figure out what that is or ignore it. And right. I think that happens more frequently than we realize. Yeah, absolutely. You know, sometimes I've come across information, uh, you know, you, you start realizing your client's guilty, you know, or that they did, they did what that they're being accused of. Uh-huh. Um, and that's, I, I think that that's very important. That's, that's extremely important to know that because uh, they still yeah. have a right to a defense. And I think the faster you can start figuring that out, the faster the attorney can start representing them uh, with, with legal options. That's exactly right, because they still have rights, for sure. Even, that's right. Even if they're that's guilty. Right. <clears throat> yeah. Yeah, and I think, I think sometimes we kind of run away from, oh, man, you know, they, they can't be guilty. we got to walk them, you know, like, you know, like, you know, and, and it's, sometimes it's like, well, you know, we got to face reality, right, and work, work with that. Um, and so, I, I, you know, you never want to go to that place too quick. But uh, if you get dug in on, you know, this sort of this bias, um, you can uh, – you can end up, I believe, doing your client a disservice by just pretending that they didn't do it. Yeah, I really like this uh, uh, phrase in your article, Craig, where you said the Kool-Aid tastes good. It, it tastes even better when other people are drinking it. I, I thought that was that was a pretty good quote. Uh, yeah, I, because, I, think, I think I made that up. Yeah, that, that, is, that is pretty <laughs> – it does taste good. It really tastes good. It does, yeah. It uh it really is kind of narrows it down to to one idea for sure. So, uh, you know, soon we're going to take a break. But so I want to come back when we do that. I want to come back and talk about um, recognizing bias and the, the symptoms of groupthink that you listed uh, listed in uh, in your paper. The paper is just I have to say is just really well done. Um, it's uh, got just a lot of, uh, I think, as I said to you um, when I was talking to you, it has a lot of meat in it. It has a lot of good information that uh, if anybody has an opportunity to read it, it's in the NALI, uh, the Legal Investigator NALI document uh, that was the 2020 Spring Edition. So it was right after you got your um, your CLA designation, right? Right. Yeah, it was my it was my white paper uh, for for the the NALI qualification or sorry for the CLI qualification. Yeah, yeah. So, uh, it, but it's it is um, it's well done. It's well documented. It's well referenced. You've done a lot. You've done a immense amount of research 
that I see Thank you. Uh, from um, all kinds of uh, authors that you have looked into and besides your own experience, which I'm sure was significant if you were doing uh, any kind of intelligence work in Iraq and, and your, and your education as well. Right. Yeah. And just, you know, just to um, clarify that I I did not do intelligent intelligence work in Iraq, but I, I uh, studied it when I um, came back and went to college and I can't tell you it's, it's this, whole concept is very big in the intelligence community because uh, I, I believe there was only, I could be wrong on this, but I believe there was only several people that actually thought the Soviet Union would, would fall. Um, that's what I've heard. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, uh, you know, we, it, it, it's just a big concept inside of the intelligence world because when you're conducting analysis, you're basically... Um, opining, your forecasting, you know, you use evidence, but, but it's not hard and fast. You know, you might be predicting, you know, how many years, uh, a political leader has left to live or how, how long they have left in power. And there's no scientific about that. So you have to use these tools. So yeah, there, there is crossover. Definitely. Yeah. Okay. Well, uh, let's take a real quick quick break we'll come right back and then we'll talk about these uh identifiers uh, symptoms of groupthink okay thank you we'll, sure we'll be right back news opinion your voice counts call toll free 1-866-472-5787 1-866-472-5787 voiceamerica.com PI Magazine is the most respected magazine of the professional investigator. We feature stories and articles on current trends and issues, equipment reviews, tips, and practical advice. Don't miss the new and exciting year in PI Magazine. Subscribe today at PIMagazine.com. Need to hire a private investigator? Ask for their professional association affiliations. When an investigator asks Francie Kaler about associations, she says to first join a state trade association. Francie belongs to the California Association of Licensed Investigators, or CALI. It's the largest association of its kind in the world. CALI's main focus is networking, training, and legislative advocacy. If you need a detective in California, contact CALI at cali-pi.org or call one 800 350 C-A-L-I. For a national association, Francie's choice is the National Council of Investigation and Security Services, or NCISS. For over 35 years, the council's primary mission has been to represent its members before the United States Congress and governmental agencies. Find the council at NCISS.org or call 1-800-445-8408. NCISS and Cali are great places to look for a qualified private investigator. Tell them you heard it from Francie on PI's Declassified. Streaming live, the leader in Internet talk radio, voiceamerica.com. You're listening to P.I.'s Declassified with Francie Kaler. You can call into the program. We'll take questions and comments at 1-866-472-5788. That's 1-866-472-5788. You can also email your question to Francie. Send it to francie at pisdeclassified.com. Now, here's Francie Kaler. We're back. I have my guest, Craig Smith, and he has written just an outstanding paper on cognitive disability. I can't even say it, cognitive dissidence, and the legal investigator recognizing bias and groupthink. And so, um, one of the things that I noticed in your paper, for just for starters, you say, we all have bias. To say that we have risen above it is dissonance personified. I thought that was an interesting statement, and you go and list something that was developed by an author named Janice, The Eight Symptoms of Groups Think. Let's talk about that. Sure. Could you, could you go through those and explain them? Yeah. So, um, you know, the, Janice uh, wrote 
I mean, he was ahead of his time um, back in the seventies. Um, he wrote a lot of uh, a lot of papers, and he even has a, a book, I believe, called Groupthink. Um, and, and he just he he came up with these eight symptoms of groupthink. Um, you know, basically, it's you know how to recognize when a group, uh, however big that group may be, begins to uh, you know, devolve into, you know, I guess unhealthy tribalism is the best way I, I would put it. Um, and so just to go through the eight, the eight and without getting into them, but there, the eight symptoms that Janice has are uh, the illusion of invulnerability, collective rationalization, uh, illusion, the illusion of morality, excessive stereotyping. And he's referring to stereotyping people outside of the group. Uh, pressure of conformity that would come from within the group, self-censorship that would come from within the group, uh, the uh, illusion of uh, unanimity, um, uh, you know, believing that everybody uh, agrees with the group's decision, and mind guards, which comes from within the group. It's like if you start thinking incorrectly, the group instantly corrects the way that you think. Hmm. Okay, so let's back up a second here. So, the so describe what he means by the illusion of vulnerability. Yeah, so uh, the illusion of invulnerability. Um, let's uh, put it from a, a, an, in a legal uh, standpoint for a legal investigator uh, or police or anybody, anybody in the legal field. You know, maybe taking shortcuts on evidence, uh, processing, processing evidence, you know, incorrectly or, you know, in a, I guess, in a, le- in, in, in a legal fashion or in a uh, legally improper fashion. It's like, well, you know, it doesn't matter. You know, I'm with this group. We can take shortcuts. We don't have to, like, you know, do that. Um, or if it's from a criminal defense or our standpoint, it's, oh, you know, I can talk to them if they're, you know, uh, someone that's represented or I can talk, you know, I can do this or I can do that because, you know, I, I'm invincible. We're invulnerable. We're part of the group. You know, I can think of, there was a, there was a case here in California. Um, you know, there's have been over the years, several missing uh, abducted children and, the police targeted this guy for actually for years and they could never, never find anything, but they thought he was involved and no matter what, it was in the news. They were constantly harassing him. They were constantly bringing him in for interviews. Nothing has ever come from it, uh, which is really fascinating because if they had something, they would have put it together. And it seems like, that situation is exactly what you're talking about here. Yeah, I mean, I, I would I would say that um, a, a good example of this may be. Um, I, 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 it's kind of hard for me to say this, but if I, I watched the uh, the O.J. Simpson doc, documentary, and I, I would say that you may see pieces of this in the Los Angeles uh, Police Department. Um, mm. You know. Uh, Mr. Uh, Fung, you know, not processing evidence correctly at the scene, taking mm-hmm. evidence home in, you know, the back of a vehicle, um, you know, just, you know, hey, we're part of the group. We can do this. It always works. DA's got our backs. Not a big deal. Mm-hmm. We got, you yeah. know, we're going to we're going we're gonna to wrap this up and, and this guy's going to the slammer. Um, it, it, it can not only happen in those situations, but it can it can also happen to criminal defense investigators or mm-hmm. private investigators. Right. That's right. So another one was collective rationalization. So go ahead. Go ahead. You're going to say something. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, you know, it's, it's, uh, you know, when you, when you start to have the invulnerability, you know, the next step would be rationalizing that invulnerability. Like, you know, I'm working for the good guys and that's why I do this. And I'm, I'm helping more people, uh, you know, than, than I'm harming or from a defense standpoint, it would be, you know, uh, well, 
we know that the police and the district attorney are wrong. So, you know, we have to do whatever it takes to, uh, you know, push this through to, to, to walk this guy. I can, you know, I can just, you know, fudge the, the witness statement a little bit, or I can, you know, uh, I can say something that's inappropriate, you know, when the, when the recorder's off. Right. Mm-hmm. Uh, mm-hmm. And, and so, and so it, it's that rationalization of, uh, you know, I'm doing this for the right reasons. I'm doing this for the group. I'm doing this for a higher purpose. Therefore uh, it's okay. And that plugs in to the next one, which is illusion of morality. So somehow that transforms into, uh, I'm right. This is the moral ground. Uh, yeah, um, yeah. The police are always wrong. Yeah, always. and the other, and the resource is time. true, right? I, and I, yeah. I have heard uh, I have heard defense investigators talk like that. Uh, you know, cops are always wrong every time, all the time, no matter what. Uh, and that's just not true. <laughs> that's just and not you, true. And you also um, hear the other side know. of it. You know, who and you hear the other side of it. You know. The, yeah. the, <laughs> Who are those the private investigators? Are, they don't know what they're doing. <laughs> that's right. Or or the police are always right. You know, that yeah. every person that's arrested is, you know, needs to go to prison forever. And it's like, well, that's not true. And and then the and next so the, one. So the level of morality. Mm-hmm, I'm sorry. Right. The, the next one is uh, that you have here is excessive stereotyping. And I... You know, we're all responsible for this, and we see it almost every day. Uh, it's it's interesting to me why we why we do that. Why why do we stereotype the way we do? You know, the, the stereotyping. If you're if you're in this, if you're inculcated this deep, you've got to stereotype uh, everyone outside of the group uh, because it brings validity to the aforementioned uh, items. It, it validates the invulnerability. It, it invalidates, or sorry, it, it validates the invulnerability. It validates the rationalization, and it validates the morality. It's, it's a form of validation. Wow, they are wrong, and we are right. Well, it, it, you know, it goes to the core of cult leaders when you talk about the stereotyping, the conformity, the self-censorship, discipline for not being like the rest of them, you know, that, those kind of things. That's how a cult leader operates. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's, it, you know, and, and it happens on micro levels where people aren't necessarily malevolent. Like all of this stuff is not necessarily, people don't have to be malevolent to engage in this sort of behavior. It can just happen. And, you know, I, I guess my point of this, I guess with what you're saying is, uh, what, with what you just said is, we as legal investigators have to be careful because we can find ourselves being within the cult. Right. Absolutely. I, I mean, I, I think it's, uh, as, as again, not to get involved in what's going on in the country too much, but the more you get entrenched in your side of things, the more you're not going to listen to any other opinions um, and think you're right. <laughs> And and join yeah. with others that uh, think like you do. So it's uh, it's a fascinating. Uh, we're seeing it play out on a daily basis in this country, and it's um, it's really fascinating, actually. Yeah, so, yeah. And if you if you pay attention enough, it, it, you know, uh, if you pay attention enough, you can see it playing out everywhere within your friend group, within your family, within even. Uh, you know, just as a casual observer as you walk down the road or walk by a cafe. Um, and, and it kind of, you're kind of like, okay, I got, I got to stop noticing this or I'm going to drive myself crazy. Right. <laughs> right. So Craig, wh- what do you do? How do you, what do you do with yourself to avoid bias like this? You know, I, I don't know if I necessarily avoid it. Uh, it's, you have to recognize it when it's, when it starts to happen. Um, I, I guess, uh, one way to, maybe I do try to avoid it. I mean, one way you can't avoid it is you, you start off each case, 
you know, try to start off each case somewhat tabula rasa and try to go from there. Um, it's hard to do that. It's hard to start tabula rasa means blank slate. And it's hard to start off a case with a blank slate because the attorney walks in, Hey, got a good case. This is what's up. Okay, cool. You know, money's put down on the table. Here's X amount of dollars. You're going to, you're like, okay, your problem's now my problem. Let me go solve this for you. Um, so, you know, I, I think it's in those moments you have to look for the checks and you have to be loyal to the checks. You have to be faithful to the checks that come in your stomach and you have to be honest and, uh, and then just do the best that you can with, with the case that's been put before you. So do you, when you're working on a case, Craig, do you, do you sit back and try to invoke that kind of, uh, reality to yourself or do you just go forward and then maybe at some point in time think oh wait a minute maybe I'm taking this too far how does that work for you yeah I mean sometimes there's cases I mean there's a lot of times I'll sit I'll get I get told about a case and I go oh my gosh this is a mess how this this is really bad and the client just sounds like he or she is guilty Mm-hmm. And I start reading discovery and I start reading witness statements and I go, Oh, I don't know. Something's kind of weird here. So I think it's coming into a case with an open mind, especially when it's a big case. There are some cases where it's targeted, you know, witnesses lying. We go out, interview the witness cases, cases done. And those mm-hmm. are, you know, there's not much to those, but it's those bigger cases where it's a bit unknown what happened I think you have to approach that with somewhat of an open mind. You take the client's story into consideration, but you really have to go in with an open mind. And as those checks come about, I think that's when you have to settle them as they come. Mm-hmm. That's good advice. That's good advice. So um, is there a case that that you can talk about um, without, of course, naming names, that that you can say that kind of thing happened. Uh, yeah, I have a I have a couple of special cases. I have a lot of special cases, but I have a case where a I'll keep it extremely vague. Where a young disenfranchised gentleman um, had a series of unfortunate things happen to him, and it was cut and dry. It was on camera. And we started invest. I started investigating and I started interviewing people. And uh, the more the investigation I did and the more interviewing I did, I real I started to realize something happened that predicated this incident. And I dug and dug and dug, and I was just about to quit. And the attorney said to me, he "said Just you know, go interview this one more person." And I was like, "Okay." And it just it just blew the case open. And uh, come to find out something extremely dramatic and traumatic happened before this incident. Um, And, you know, in the end, that client went from having felony charges, severe felony charges to walking away with a simple misdemeanor for something that was kind of off to the side. Um, And, you know, it was, it, 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 it was, it was just, it was just shocking. And, and I'm, you know, grateful that um, that I didn't quit and that the attorney didn't quit on the case. Can you describe what the event was that uh, was so significant? Um, it's really it's a comp- it's a complicated case. It, it, I, like I, I would love to, but it's an extremely complicated case. Um, well, just give us a smidgen. It, 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 <laughs> it, it, it involved, um, yeah. You know, robbery, you know, uh, driving a vehicle around, uh, driving recklessly, where in fact, come to find out it was, it was our client that was robbed. Mm. Um, our client that was menaced, our client that was, um, and the, you know, the, the department, the law enforcement department, um, I'm not going to say who, right. Didn't, 
do interviews. They didn't go get the cameras that I got. They didn't, they didn't talk to the people I got. And I was able actually to figure out who the individual was that, that actually robbed our client, um, in fact. And uh, so the case got, you know, for the most part dismissed. So you did not know that he was robbed until you talked to this last witness? He had told me that he had told us that he was robbed, but the temptation in that point was, you know, well, okay, really? You know, is that, you know, the temptation is to go, well, you know, you were, you were robbed. I mean, we got you on video here, you know, driving around like a, you know, like a banshee, mm-hmm. you know, because, uh, you know, a lot of times clients say things that just aren't true. Right. And at that point, I had a choice. I'm like, okay, I can just shut this down and just do a half-witted investigation and just, you know, get my fee and just kind of, you know, play the game. Or I can just say, okay, I'm going to ride with you. I'm going to go with you. I'm going to see this through to the end. I'm going to add, I'm going to, I'm going to investigate for you. And if in the end I don't find anything, so be it. But I'm going to go the distance with you. And that's what I did. And that's what the attorney did. And we kept an open mind throughout. And my goodness, we, I got that one piece of video footage from, from a neighbor on the last interview on the last day at 8 PM at night. Wow. Right. And so wow. that, yeah, I mean, it, and it was, you know, I, but I could have just shut it down. I could have been lazy sure. and he could have a felony. So, so the, Defendant must have had some level of credibility or some uh, sense of what he's saying is real that the attorney wanted to go one step further. Do you think that's true? Yeah, after I interviewed, after I interviewed the client and I, after I interviewed the client's relative that he lived with, um, I said, you know, something's not right here. Something's not right. This, this isn't some screwball story made up. This isn't, you know, some half-baked thing that, that this young man is making up just to get, get off. And, it, and mm-hmm. in the end, it wasn't. In the end, our client was robbed by mm-hmm. someone. And, it, yeah, and we have, have incontrovertible evidence of that. I ended up doing surveillance on the case, you know, and I... It, it angers me that this individual is not going to be prosecuted that ended up robbing our client, but so be it. That's the way it works. So that is the way it works. You know, yeah. so um, it, I guess it just points out just how important investigations are. I'm, I'm sure you've worked for attorneys yeah. that, that um, just for a lack of a better way of putting it, kind of quick slick the case. They take the fees they get paid, um, they represent the client, but they don't really represent them. And the investigation... Yeah, uh, yeah. Yeah, mm-hmm. the investigation sometimes makes it or breaks it. Many times makes it or breaks it. One way or the other, either to support the findings of what the, the law enforcement thought or to undermine it just like you did with real evidence that can make a difference. Yeah. You know, if there's one thing I've learned in this industry is that everybody's overworked and tired. Police are DA is like, I see the DA, the the DA is walking down the court and they got a a roll, you know, like the roller that they have, like the suitcase. Yep. You know, they got 180 cases, bloodshot eyes, you know, and mm-hmm. they, you know, I don't even know how they do it, really. The, the attorneys are all tired. Uh, the, the defense attorneys are all tired. You know, like everybody's just, you know, fighting to, to work and represent their clients. The in, private investigators, a lot of time, we're tired. We just got done working a surveillance case last night. Now we have to go do eight interviews, mm-hmm. right? And, and yeah. I, I found it, 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 it's in those moments that, you know, we can say, Anyone, the police can say, you know, I'm not going to take that extra step. You know, I got enough. The mm-hmm. DA can say, you know, I just, you know, it looks good. It's going to look good on paper, and that's all that matters to me. Uh, defense attorneys can say, uh, 
I got my fee. You know, private investigators can say, well, oh, well, you know, looks like you did it. But uh, I, I feel like in those moments, we as, you know, legal professionals, any one of us can say, you know, I'm going to take that extra step. I'm going to, you know, he might be guilty, but let me just go interview this one other person. And if he's guilty, dang it, I can at least say I did all that I could. Right. And so I I think that that it's in those moments where, uh, you know, legal investigators, we have choices to, to one, break through the bias and to, two, take the extra step. And, you know, sometimes that extra step, uh, you don't get paid for doing Maybe you've already run out of funds, and and there's something that tells you there's just one more thing that I want to do, and you could do it with uh, no remuneration at all. Yeah, and, and you know, and sometimes I'm sure you've had this as well. Sometimes you come across great law firms and great attorneys, just you know, mm-hmm. just just a cut above. And I found it, you know, when you work with attorneys like that. Um, you know, it kind of fosters an environment for this and that when bias comes up, you've got, um, you know, the best chance to break through it. And I work with a great law firm in town and, and uh, they're all former prosecutors and, you know, they're just, they're just wonderful. And and when you come across attorneys like that, uh, it sure makes our job a lot easier. Absolutely. Absolutely. You know, Craig, we're at the end of our time. This has been fascinating. I loved your article, as I've mentioned several times here. Uh, (laughs) Thank you so much. uh, Yeah, and uh, just be well, and thank you so much for being on the show today. And for the rest of you, absolutely. And for the rest of you, it's PIs Declassified. I'm Francie Kaler. Thanks so much for listening. You've been listening to P.I.'s Declassified with your host, Francie Kaler. Tune in every Thursday at noon Eastern Time. That's 9 a.m. for you West Coast listeners. P.I.'s Declassified explores stories of deceit, mystery, and detectives unraveling the truth. Every Thursday at noon Eastern, 9 a.m. Pacific Time here on the Voice America Variety Channel. 